We got 30 minutes. Um, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to continue the sermon series that we have, uh, which is about wise and foolish living. This is the second uh, in that series. And I don't remember how this came about. I definitely did not volunteer for this sermon. I think Kale maybe volunteered me for it. I think Kale was trying to throw me a curveball and gave me fear of God. The fear of God is, uh, is the sermon today. Um, and it is from Proverbs 1-7, where Solomon says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And that's in Proverbs 1-7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So I just want to first start by acknowledging, this is a tough topic, okay? Because I know that there are those of you in here today that, are, that you grapple with fear, especially fear of God. Like you do something bad and you think God is going to send you straight to hell. You think he is just so angry at you and he hates your God and you really worry about it. You fear hell, you fear being condemned to judgment uh, by God. And, and so you really grapple with that. So this might be like a, a nightmare for you to be thinking about. But I hope today the message for you is good news. But then there's a whole another group of us in here who are just living on the free grace of God. We don't know what it is to feel bad about that or to worry that we are in any way out of God's good graces. We just assume that no matter what we do, God's our biggest fan just applauding us in heaven, saying, go on, child, I'm proud of you. That, hopefully, you have some sobering news coming your way. The trick is, though, is that God refuses to be reduced into simplicity. He refuses to be uh, as, as, as extreme, oftentimes, as we want him to be, because we don't like living in any kind of tension, We like to remove any tension from our lives that we can. So to say that God is absolutely compassionate and gentle and loving seems to mean that he could not ever be angry, that he could not ever be uh, uh, um, um, uh, destructive or wrathful, but that's not true. In fact, it is his love that oftentimes is what gives us the reason to be afraid of him. And I know God as love. He is graceful. He is tender. He is compassionate. I mean, he created creatures like koalas and sea turtles. Think about that, man. Who doesn't like koalas? The old drop bear. So why should we fear him? I've been thinking about that lately because I've been watching nature shows with Jack and June. Uh, Jack is a big fan of watching nature shows. And he's like, can we watch a nature show? And I'm like, absolutely. I grew up watching those with my dad, and it made me want to be a zoologist. Didn't do much good. Here I am. Well, kind of. Uh, So (laughs) as I watch these shows, I'm blown away at his creation. By the way, Netflix, Netflix, (laughs) Netflix, (laughs) Netflix, Um, Netflix has a great show called Sea Wolves. Man, it's really good. If you haven't watched it, check it out. It's about wolves that live by the sea, not a different kind of creature. Okay, so 
I'm blown away at his creation. It is amazing. I sense his creativity and his power and his love. But there's some other characteristic of God that I'm seeing in nature as I look at what's going on. And it's something like, it's hard to put my finger on, but it's something like uh, his intensity or maybe his sharpness. I don't know how to describe that. But whenever I look at nature, there's, it's beautiful and wonderful and also a little bit terrifying. It's a little bit terrifying. Think about, even just think about the ocean. The ocean freaks me out, man. And looking at the stuff that's down there, I don't even want to think about it very often. But maybe that's a good place to start as we think about what it means to fear God. You know, there's, uh, there's, there's two halves of the Bible in terms of understanding languages. There's the Hebrew Old Testament scriptures, and then there's the Greek New Testament scriptures for the most part. So you're looking at uh, Hebrew and Greek, and when pastors tell you about what a Hebrew word means or what a Greek word be- means, we do that because language changes across cultures and it carries different meanings. And we want to know in the Old Testament, what's the exact word that's being used there? And then in the New Testament, what's the exact word that's being used there? And what is it translated into modern English? Because obviously different translations are going to translate them different things, different words, and they're going to mean different things to us. And so whenever we use these kind of words and talk about the Old Testament, New Testament words, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get down to the, to the, the original basic meaning and tension of that word. In the Old Testament, you have the Hebrew word for fear is yaira, okay? Um, and it means fear, reverence, or piety. That's dumbed down. We don't want to do a whole word study, okay? And then in the Greek, you have phobio, okay? Which if that sounds like something familiar to, to you, it is, okay? When it talks about fear, um, it's, you know, whenever you have like a, a deep fear of something, you're phobic. So phobio, and it means to put to flight, to terrify, Frighten, fear, dread, reverence, being afraid or terrified. And yes, it is used in the sense of to fear God, to phobio God. What is going on there? And why am I so uncomfortable with it? You see, God is a good father. And a good father is deeply loved And he's deeply loving, but he's also deeply respected. And that means if you cross him, you've got reason to fear. If you cross him, you do have reason to fear him. That is not a popular message in modern Christianity. We don't like to talk about hell. We don't like to talk about, we kind of stay out of revelation. Well, it's kind of tricky. Whenever he says, like, the cowardly are going to hell, you're like, wait a second. How does that work? That's mean. We like to stay out of the Old Testament, especially where God destroys entire nations, women and children included. If you're a non-believer here today, you're like, man, finally, someone's talking about the stuff I'm bothered with in Scripture. And by the way, if you're not bothered by some of this stuff in Scripture, you ain't reading it right, or you're not reading it enough, Okay. And if you think that's only limited to Old Testament Yahweh, then you're wrong on that front as well. Because when you look at Jesus, his apostles are regularly afraid of him, as are others. They are terrified when they see him walking on water. When Peter sees him, uh, whenever 
you know, Jesus tells Peter, like, cast over here. He gets all his fish. Peter looks at him. He's terrified, drops to his knees and says, go away from me, God. I'm a sinful man. There is fear that's there in that. And it's a good kind of fear. We've got to figure out what it is, though. I've heard people say that the word fear just means awe or something like that. But it's just not that simple. It's undeniable that fear is a part of our relationship with God. We don't need to erase it. We need to understand it. That is something that we have to get to. There is a tension in this, as I mentioned. Some of us live in fear of God in the wrong way. Some of us don't feel any fear of God in the wrong way. And we need to pull the slack out and find the balance. So before we dive in today, we're going to take a quick, like, let's talk with God for a second moment. Okay, I want you to connect with God and what the Spirit is saying to you, not just tune in to me. So, Let's take a moment and talk to God individually. Ask him to open your eyes and your heart to the truth and to get a sense of a balance of where you are in your fear of him. Are you too afraid or are you careless? Let's just let him speak into our hearts for a moment here. Okay, let's keep that, keep that heart stance in mind as we reflect on this today, okay? So, first things first. There is a good fear and a bad fear, and we're meant to know the difference. Okay? There's a good fear and a bad fear, and we're meant to know the difference between those two things. I'm going to rattle off a lot of scriptures today. One of my biggest paradigms around preaching is, if I can just give you a lot of scriptures to hear, then I, at the least, will have let you hear the real word of God today. Okay? So... 1 Peter 2.17 says, Show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Philippians 2.12 Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 2 Corinthians 5.11 Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God. I hope it is also plain to your conscience. Seems like pretty clear. It's saying fear God, right? Good. All right. Let's move to 1 John 4.18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And then Isaiah 41.13, God himself says, For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear. I will help you. I wonder sometimes if God knows he's sending us mixed messages. <laughs> like whenever he told his disciples to get a sword and then condemned them after they chopped off someone's ear. Right? Like, Jesus, you could have just told them that you don't need a sword. Why does he do that? Why is, he, why is he sending us mixed messages sometimes? My son oftentimes accuses me of sending him mixed messages. Like whenever I tell him he can do something, like get candy out of the candy drawer. And then whenever he does it without me being around, and I say, why did you do that? He's like, you told me I could. And I'm like, Con context, brother. Like, give me a break. It's almost as if I can't just say one or two things and it makes complete sense. It's almost like he needs to seek to understand and not try to create simplistic rules. Likewise, that's what I think is at work here. See, bad fear, in a broad sense, 
is the kind of fear that distracts us. It makes us afraid of everything. It keeps us from boldness. It causes us anxiety and doubt. It keeps us from bravely acting out God's plan for the world. And in reality, bad fear is just cowardice. It's like a, uh, it's like a whipped dog. Has anyone ever tried to get a whipped dog, a dog that like, has been beaten in the past? Has anyone tried to get a dog like that to, like, just to listen to you? They're too afraid to listen. They're too afraid. They're too scared to listen. That's bad fear. Good fear is a dog that knows his master means business. And he's ready to listen and obey accordingly. There's a difference between those two dogs. In the stricter sense, though, bad fear as it relates to God is just a misunderstanding of who God is. Fear isn't terror. God is not abusive. He's not mean-spirited or rude or in some bad mood constantly. Fear of that kind is actually sinful. It's weird. God says fear, but he means good fear. And if you bad fear, then that's sinful. And you're like, man, God, why are you doing this to us? But it's a twist of the truth that Satan really convinces us of. God is not out to get you. He's not a nitpicker, okay? I promise you that that is the case. He's not a miser or some strict headmaster. The kind of fear I think that John means to condemn is that kind. It's the kind that thinks God is volatile and unloving. It's more afraid of God than it loves God. You can love God and also fear God. But God is not a loose cannon ready to rip into you the moment you make a mistake. He's not like that. So there's a, in a pretty important parable in Matthew 25. You, buy, you probably know it as the parable of the talents. The NIV just goes ahead and gets rid of talents since that word means like who can juggle. And uh, it just changes it to bags of gold. It's like, let's make this simple for dumb Americans, okay? It's a bag of gold, all right? <laughs> so it's worth a lot of money, okay? You guys remember this parable? He gives, one, he gives one guy 10. He gives one guy five. He gives one guy one. Who's the guy that completely ruins it? The one, right? Again, tricks you. You think it's going to be the guy that was given more, all right? But no, it's the guy that was just given one. Now, here is where we pick up in this parable, starting in verse 24. This is Jesus telling the parable. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is Jesus, okay? This is not Old Testament Yahweh. This is Jesus, who, by the way, is the exact same God. Do you see what happened? The servant misunderstood the master. He's a hard man. I know how much he's just going to want that bag back. 
And as a result, that fear actually kept the servant from trying to make more out of it. Okay? That's what bad fear looks like. It's unhealthy fear. So let's take some time then to explore what good fear might actually look like. The first point, in case I didn't say it clearly enough, was that there's a good fear and a bad fear, and we're supposed to know the difference. All right? (laughs) Sorry, I didn't say point one. Okay, point two. To fear God, then, is to live in worshipful reverence of him. One dimension of a healthy kind of fear is to live in worshipful reverence. Hebrews 12, 28 through 29 says, Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. In the Old Testament, that word reverence occurs as a translation of, of two Hebrew words, yer and sasha. That's the best I got, guys. The root, word, or the root idea of the former word is fear. It's used to express the attitude towards God himself or his sanctuary. So the group of ideas there would be fear, awe, reverence. The root idea of the second word, which I think is interesting, is falling down. That's what the word means, falling down as in the prostration of the body. It is used to express the bearing toward another who is considered superior, laying prostrate. Okay? Laying prostrate. By the way, how often, just show of hands, genuine, how often, oh, that's not really going to be possible to show of hands. I'm like, on, out of five, <laughs> out of ten times. No, um, just genuinely, I'll just be, just be honest. If you often lay prostrate, raise your hand. If it's often, like we're talking about three times a week. Anyone? Okay. Assignment for this week. I want you a few times this week in worship or in prayer to lay prostrate before God. If that seems yucky to you, find a cleaner surface. But I think this means something. God takes our physical actions very seriously. He is not a homeboy. He is God Almighty. And you are meant to bow before him. Take some prayers to him this week on your face on the ground. That, there's a word for it, an old-fashioned word I like, obeisance. It's to act in obeisance, you know, to God. But reverence is this feeling of profound respect for someone. There's this unmistakable connection, though, between good fear and worship. Think about how many interactions that people have with God, all right? If he ever shows up physically, even if an angel shows up, are they like, hey, good to see you. Man, you look great. No, they're terrified. And oftentimes, they get on the ground as fast as possible, and they worship. Get, get down, okay? Like, hit the deck. Something powerful just walked into the room, and it's not a power like you've seen before, right? That's what worshiping a holy God is like. That's a part of a healthy fear of God. It's like what I mentioned about Peter in the boat. 
dropping on dropping to the deck and being like, go away from me, God. I'm sinful. I just recognized who you were. This is not safe for me. Whatever it is, it's not safe. To be on hallowed ground is anything but safe. God tells Moses that he can't even see him. If he would, he would just die because of his glory. That's how holy God is. Okay? It's, he's so holy. Worship finds us at the feet of the king. Because we're meant to sense his power, his holiness, his presence. Of course, we won't kneel or lay prostrate before him if we don't actually sense that. Yes, there are a lot of times where I sense him as a loving father, drawing near to me, giving me a big hug. But just as many other times, I sense him as a king and I want to pay honor to him. I want to, I want to shout out who he is. As the ruler of the universe, one of my favorite Old Testament names for him is El Shaddai, the Almighty One. I don't want to touch the Almighty One. I want to fall on my face and do that. And that's a good, normal, healthy component of a relationship with God. Not just loving as a dear father, which is important. But understand, I'm trying to pull on this other side of the rope here. So we need to cultivate a deep reverence for God in worship. And that reverence is marked by submission to him an acknowledgement of his power, his authority, and his holiness. When people lack this kind of good fear of God, this reverent, worshipful attitude of God, it's no wonder they balk at his demands. The beginning of knowledge is that you are not God. The beginning of knowledge is that God is almighty, all-powerful, has all authority, over everything and everyone, including me and you. He can ask you whatever he pleases because he has all authority and all power and his dominion is everything. Yes, he can demand you give up your money. Yes, he can demand you remain faithful to your promises in marriage and in friendship. Yes, he can command your sexuality, your identity, your belief, your life, your death. He's Yahweh. A part of our problem so often is that we don't think, how dare he tell me he's in charge of my identity? How dare he tell me he's in charge of my finances? How dare we not recognize him? Our lack of fear of God in these things will be our destruction. So, my advice is to fear God, brothers and sisters. He alone deserves to be revered and worshipped. And finally, to fear God is to live in mindful awareness of Him. He does see you. He doesn't check in on you. Do you understand that? He doesn't get a progress report from a local angel <laughs> saying, here's kind of what happened this week. He sees everything you do, everything you think. He knows you intimately. All of us, all we do. He holds no harm for those who live upright lives, who through humility admit their faults and walk in the light. He does not ask you to be sinless in that way. 
He asks you to be humble and to live upright and to confess and to walk in the light. If that's you, you need not fear that. However, if your way is crooked or if you act as if he cannot see you, you have every right and even a need to fear him. Consider the following story and teaching of Jesus. I'm just going to read two scriptures here. In the early church, Acts 5, 1 through 11. Now a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest of it and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all those who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out, then buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said. That is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. We love Acts 2. They all ate together, having glad and sincere hearts in their homes, you know, breaking bread, that kind of stuff. This shows something good about God. Do you believe that? This shows something good about God. And it shows something worrisome about us. These people thought God didn't see. These people willingly conspired in front of the apostles, knowing full well that they were lying. And God struck them dead. This is not the Old Testament, if you think that he doesn't do that stuff anymore. No. God is very active at this present moment. If you think things like this do not happen anymore, I just ask you the question, why do you think that? Why? What's different? What's changed? Matthew 10, 26. This is Jesus speaking. Matthew 10, 26 through 33. So don't be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He's not talking about Satan. Satan can't do that. Satan will be destroyed. Do you understand? He doesn't get to live around for eternity poking people with a pitchfork having a great time. God's not going to reward Satan for his efforts. God's going to destroy him. The scripture Jesus is mentioning here, what he's talking about, is God. Fear God, not people, is his basic upshot. 
And we should realize that God can't be mocked, that we will reap what we sow. And a healthy fear of God is attached to knowing that God sees us and will hold us accountable for our actions. This doesn't mean that God won't forgive us and that he can't save us. It means we should fear walking in sin, wronging God and others, because he can punish us. I do not know why some people like Ananias and Sapphira get punished the way they were, and some of us do not. I'm pretty sure I've committed worse sins than them. I have no idea. But I, knew, I do know this. Don't mess with God or his children. I get the sense that people think that grace means they aren't held accountable for their sins, but it's not that simple. Sometimes God punishes us because of his grace. Hebrews 12, 5 says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline because God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? And in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 7, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual morality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in, this w- in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you about before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. All this is to say that a healthy fear of God is meant to produce in us an awareness of him throughout our day. Before we act out in anger as we drive, before we open that internet browser tab, before we speak a word against a brother or sister or anyone, that we would remember that God sees me. And perhaps we would change our course and fear God. Two examples, and then I'm going to say a prayer to wrap us up. An example might be that in your business, you have an opportunity to take advantage of someone else. But don't worry, we just call that business. If you fear God, though, you will not. Because I know that the measure that I use will be measured to me even if I've got a business tag on it, even if it's tax-free. Or another example, perhaps I'm just a coward. I won't speak to anyone about church, let alone Jesus, but if I actually feared God, I may stop fearing people so much and start to share my faith with them. So I want you to think on these three questions. Where do I fall on the spectrum of fearing God? Do I not fear him enough? I've not taken seriously his holiness? Or am I acting as if he's a penny pincher, like the parable of the bags of gold? And as a result, I've fearfully stayed in my lane. Which one are you, and how do you move the other direction? Number two, do I revere God, and does that display itself in my worship of him? Do I revere God, and does that display itself? in my worship of him? And three, am I regularly aware of God's presence? And how is that impacting my daily actions? Am I aware, regularly aware of God's presence? And how is that impacting my daily actions? I want to make sure that I affirm in closing here that God loves you desperately 
And that your model here, as you think about these things, is to remember and to recall our God is a good father. But he is also almighty Yahweh. He is holy. He is powerful. And he is meant to be respected. And our relationship with him should be one of deep reverence, submission, awe, awareness. I'd encourage you not to let the enemy lie to you about these things. And if you're grappling with this, because I know it's going to create tension in your own hearts and minds, talk with God about it. He does not want to hide himself from you. I'm going to pray for us and then be dismissed from there. Father, you are so good. We're so thankful for you, Father. I pray that our worship of you would be reverent, that we would have awe and deep respect for you. God, that you would teach us this balance of fear but that our knowledge of that would be, Father, that you are ultimately loving and gentle and kind. Help us to reconcile those two things. Help us not to try to get rid of that tension, but to live in it faithfully. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys go in peace. Have a great weekend.